All right, our series entitled Identity Surrendered. I want you to think about your identity as somebody hearing these words from Scripture today. I have uh, up here on the screen some uh, logos of different Bible software. Uh, My research told me that at one time there were like 5,000 different apps that you could use to access the Bible on your phone (laughs) or on your computer. I think that's incredible. It seems a little bit overwhelming, but it, it, it talks about one side of interacting with God's word. And that, that side of it is something we always encourage, which is for each of us as individuals to develop a walk with the Lord. We're going to get back to that phrase in a minute. These are tools that help us to do that. Uh, we want to be able to uh, know the Bible. We can look it up. We can read it. I'm not opposed to you reading it on your phone, but I'm also not opposed to you having a hard copy. I think it's really good to have a hard copy that you're flipping through and you still know the order of the books. Like, I still want you to know all that stuff. I want you to develop that individually. But as we think about these words today, I want you to think about how the original churches in the New Testament received the word of God. See, back then, they didn't have all this. They didn't have individual copies of scripture that they could buy at the Christian bookstore and bring into church. They gathered in sessions like this or even smaller in people's homes and letters would have been distributed and read primarily in group settings. And so as we come to scripture, I want us to think, especially today, as a group. Yes, we want to benefit individually and there are times uh, when perhaps that message uh, from from God's word is going to speak to you individually. But there are times when when it does us really well to remember that the... early churches they received these letters as groups and that's how it was designed for them to hear and to be and that's how their obedience was challenged so I want you to see it individually but today let's especially think about what it is as a group of people to hear the word of God let's let's think about today that we have received this letter from the apostle Paul and we are meeting together and we have heard these verses for the very first time and we're going to slow down and we'll study them and see how that concept challenges us We're challenged to walk. That's kind of the the heading uh, that we'll go under today. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. This is how Paul starts off this section of the letter. He's a prisoner. He's not a prisoner. Yes, he is a prisoner of the Roman government. But what he is identifying is he's a prisoner for the Lord Jesus. That his imprisonment is for the Lord. And he's going to use his imprisonment to serve the Lord, which he did. This truth that we have in Ephesians is written while he was in prison. And so he is urging a walk. Now, uh, a a walk is something you might think about. I'm going to go for a walk and you might calculate your steps. Uh, My watch tells me that I have uh, walked so far this morning a certain number of steps uh, throughout the building. And I can calculate all that. And you might think about how many steps you're walking. I'm going for a walk. The picture we want to grasp today is not just counting steps and completing a walk. This is a word that is used to illustrate our lives. This is the way we live our lives. The word walk. We walk in a manner worthy. It's about how we live. It's not just going from point A to point B and then being done. It's it's continually how, how do we live And so we're called to walk in a manner worthy. So how we live, then, it matters. Not for our salvation. Our salvation is a gift of God. 
We find that out in uh, chapter 2. And in chapter 1, we find out that God calls. And he calls people, always has, uh, for his purposes and according to his glory. He calls people to faith. Uh, They get that faith and, and their salvation as a gift of God by grace and enter into those promises with no other merit badge on their chest than, than, than the gift of God that is faith. That's all that we can do is enter into those promises by faith. But when we commit our lives to Jesus and we're seeking to follow him, then we're called to walk in a manner, live our lives in a way that is different. People should be able to look at our lives and see something different. We want the good news of Jesus to be crystal clear before our eyes as we study it. But we also want to know that that good news, if we enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that good news changes us and it should captivate us. Real belief is recognition of and care for our growth in love for God who has done so much for us. It's one of the tests that we see if you study the book of 1 John in the New Testament. One of the tests he gives for those who are real believers is that that they are uh, changed and they have love in them. We're going to get to more and more of that. But it's a walk in a manner that is worthy. We have a calling from God and we want to honor that. We want to live our lives in a different way. So... The, the theme that will go throughout our morning, uh, the title that I have is, uh, How Do We Take Instruction? So is God an authority figure who can give us instruction on how to live our lives? This is a question that we'll lay out. I want you to process that as we go through this morning. Do we view God as an authority figure that can give us instruction on how we live our lives? All right, so we're commanded to walk in a worthy manner and under Authority. I stalled you out, making you wait for those blanks at the very end of the first point. All right, let's move on to the second one. We'll walk in a worthy manner and under God's authority. And while we do that, you see verse 2, uh, come up there with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so we walk displaying great humility. I'll let you know today I have twice as many notes for this point as I do the other ones. This is where we're going to sit down and we're going to spend a little bit of time. It's really challenging. And part of it is because we can't just receive this as a command. We can't just receive this as instruction. This actually needs to be rooted in and come out of our understanding of who God is. God gives a clear picture in Scripture about Jesus and uh, who he is and why he came to earth. And the spirit in which he lived and the the, uh, ramifications, the implications for our lives as as we live for him. All right, so we we live uh, with great humility. And here we see in Philippians chapter 2, I want to direct you to this passage. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the very nature of Jesus himself is that he empties himself of his own interests and puts first the interests of others. This is true humility. When we lower ourselves, we're going to begin by thinking of the interests of others first. And not just because it's a good thing to do and it looks good on a Hallmark card. It's because it's who God is. It's who Jesus is. He came to this earth to show us this and to be this. He's not just a teacher. He embodies perfectly all of these things that we're learning about displaying great humility. So we have to have a good theology. And I hope today that you approach this with this isn't just a bunch of instruction. No, this is who God is. And we get a chance together to pursue God for all that he is. So uh, take, we'll take this as a posture, uh, not just a suggestion. It is of God. It is God. Now, in verse 2, it says, with all humility and then uh, gentleness and patience, those go right along with humility, we see it says, bearing with one another in love. So if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the great calling that God has upon our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. That includes humility, gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another in love. I want to give a couple of examples today that I hope will, will challenge us. These may hit a little bit today. I'm going to, I'm going to warn you. And I, I'm doing this because love isn't easy. I don't want to just treat this with sugar-coated candy toppings today. Love is difficult. Those of you that are in a marriage relationship, love is difficult. Those of you that have a hard time in some of your family relationships, you love your family, but sometimes it's difficult. Life together in the body of Christ sometimes can be difficult. And we have to bear with one another in love. It's how we're, we're taught to do. And it's rooted in, in who Christ is. So the first example that I want to give today, uh, I'm just going to play the age card. There are some people in this room who think I'm really old. There are people in this room, some people in this room who think I'm young. <laughs> I like you all better, those of you who think I'm young. I think it's something that we try to openly embrace here at Goss Memorial Church. I really believe that some of our older saints realize what the future holds, and they really want our younger people to succeed. I believe that. And I believe that that takes a humility, and I believe that that takes a bearing with one another in love. And I'm going to turn this around. I also believe that we have younger people who find a lot of value in our older saints and their lives and their preferences and the things that are important to them that are going on in their lives and, and what their faith has meant to them. Our church looks different, I think, because of this value. It's not the only way that a church with this value can look, but we make decisions based on these values of giving our best to be a multi-generational church. We want to give our best to do that. Are we perfect? <laughs> I know I'm not. I'll confess. It can be difficult to, to sit on, on both of those sometimes. And so 
Uh, if, if I'm willing to lead by confession, that hopefully will open up. No, we're not perfect at this. But it's bearing with one another in love. Trying. Forgiving. Listening. Debating. Expressing our views and our opinions. Yes, all of those things come up. Love is required. Patience, humility, putting others' interests before ourselves. Okay, for my second example, I'm going to recall chapter 2 as a witness. When I was in chapter 2, I reserved the right to call chapter 2 as a witness in the future, and today I'm going to do that. (laughs) So at the end of chapter 2, after these great teachings about how awful of human beings we are and how great the love of God is that he saves us by his grace. After that section in the beginning of chapter 2 that everybody knows, I hope that everybody knows Ephesians 2, not just through verse 10. I hope you know the rest of it because the rest of it has this great material about how it is God's purpose to bring people together. And the, the, the two groups that, that God, God mentions are the Jews and the Gentiles, which is basically people of descent all the way back to Abraham, the people of Israel, what we know as the Jews, and the Gentiles, which is a word for nations, which means everybody else. And it's God's intention to bring Jews and Gentiles together. And so when it comes to bearing with one another, it's not that we have to have all of this figured out before we can share in the promises of God. The promises of God through Jesus Christ are enough to bring people together of different backgrounds, different race, different nationality, all of those things. The promises of God in Christ are enough to unify. But it doesn't mean that just because we're unified that everything is always rosy and perfect and we share perfect understanding. It's why Paul layers in these challenges to us that we need to bear with one another in love. And so when we were in chapter 2, and I reserved the right to to bring this back as a witness, race is a really culturally relevant issue for us. And it can seem overwhelming if you listen to everything that's on the news. And if you read everything you're supposed to think, and you read all the different theories, and you read all the different academics, and you read all the different things that are out there. And what I want to do today is I kind of want to bring the walls in. I want you to understand that a lot of times what you see on the media is like all the way out on the extreme edges of our society. And I really don't believe that a whole lot of people live in those places. They get ratings for media and they're designed to stir us up. And if that's our reaction all the time, that all we're doing is feeding into exactly what the media wants us to do. Now, stay with me, please. None of this means that we should bury our head and say the issue doesn't exist because the media creates everything. No, the issue exists, and I want to give what I think is a real-life example that connects us to the command here in Ephesians 4, which is to bear with one another in love. Okay, I want you to consider your perspective. I remember being an elementary school student. I grew up in a small town in northwest Ohio that was predominantly Caucasian. And in our schools, we learned U.S. history, and the predominant story of U.S. history that was taught in my school was that our ancestors fled Europe in search of uh, various freedoms, including religious freedom, and they got on boats, and they came, eventually ended in the New World. 
That's what I learned. Some of you may nod your head and say, I've heard that, I've heard that story. And it's true. There's a lot of truth in it. But our African-American friends and brothers and sisters have a different perspective. Their history as a group of people in the United States also begins with our ancestors got on boats. But from there, the story takes an entirely different turn. And rightly, because of their experiences shared in collective, it has not been the same story. It's not been prosperity. It's not been freedom. There's been a lot of suffering involved. And I'm not saying that each of us is individually to blame for all of that. I'm talking about Ephesians 2 where it says, bear with one another in love. And what I want to challenge today is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to listen? Like some, we would expect if we got into a conversation and we had an opinion about something, we would expect someone to say to us, I'll give you the right to be heard. Would we do the same thing? Would we say, I will give you the right to be heard. I want to learn from your perspective. Remember what we learned about humility. Remember what we learned about who Jesus is. So whether it's the issue of age and bringing people of different ages together, whether it's difference of, of, of race, and, and listen, our, our, our black brothers and sisters aren't the only people who are suffering the, the, the wrong end of the stick on racism. There's a lot going on in Asian American racism. These things break my heart. It's not Christ. It's not love. Bearing with one another demands that we listen. Demands that we love. Demands that we are willing to look into another's perspective and to say, I want to hear where you're coming from. Now, we're going to get everything right. I just want to use that as an example. Okay, we're not going to be perfect, but if we admit that we have blind spots and we come in humility and we say, I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to listen, then I think we have a really good start on Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Here's another way that this sounds uh, from another apostle. Here's Peter. Okay, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, and you're going to see the same pattern here. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This sounds a lot like verse 1. Walk in a manner that's worthy. Live a life that is different. We don't want to sin anymore because if we name Jesus, he died to take away our sin, and we want to be serious about it. We want to root that out of our lives. The time is past. That is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. All right? The time before we knew Christ, we live in sensuality and passions and all those things that are on there. Okay? But with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in that same flood of debauchery. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to malign you for doing that. That's living a life that is worthy of the calling. This is why the Gospels preach, even those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Now, check this out at the end of the way Peter writes this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Very challenging. We take on a call to live a different way. The only way to do that and to do it together is to keep loving one another, forgiving. Love covers a multitude 
of sins. We're going to see a lot of how this works out in the next several chapters. Uh, Paul is laying a, a wonderful foundation. So back to our title, who can instruct us? Can God instruct us to be humble and to be open, to walk humbly with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love? Can God do that for us? Okay, I told you that was where we spend most of the time. We'll finish up with the third uh, point, verse 3, is that we're seeking unity. Where does all of this drive? We're eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit, all true believers who place their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that about God. He doesn't abandon us. He actually comes and lives inside of us. And that is what unites us. And we're eager to maintain that unity. We have desire to maintain that unity. So let me define unity quickly. We can't just pick and choose the things in the first couple of verses that we want and still call it unity. We can't go, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of this, and yeah, okay, we're unified. No, we have to have verses 1 and 2. In order to have unity, the absence of those things is the absence of unity. So real believers intentionally desire to unify. It doesn't happen by accident. This reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't know anything about 1 Corinthians 13, it's a really famous chapter about love. In the context of 1 Corinthians 13, as we find it in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, is not in a wedding chapel. <laughs> okay? That's normally where you're going to hear 1 Corinthians 13 because it has this beautiful portrait of love. But it's not where uh, we find it in the, in the scope of the letter that Paul is writing. We actually find it right after he addresses division about what? About worship and about the way people are gifted spiritually. <laughs> After he addresses those divisions, he tells them, here is what love really is. That's encouraging to me because he's being consistent when he writes the Ephesians and he says basically the same thing. You have to be humble and you have to approach your relationships in the body of Christ. You have to do that with love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love hopes all things and, and believes all things and points to, to love as the answer to, to conflict and the things that, that hurt our relationships. Why would we be surprised to see unity and love going hand in hand? We, we shouldn't. 